Welcome to Everyday Martial Artist, a weekly podcast where you'll join me, Brian Doucette, as I interview a different martial artist each episode and hear their story. Some guests you may have heard of, and some you probably haven't. Be sure to subscribe where all your favorite podcasts are available. Also, visit our website at everydaymartialartist.com. If you're listening for a specific interview, I sure hope you'll stay and check out the other episodes. A very special thank you to Topher Williams for our custom theme music. And now, the newest episode of Everyday Martial Artist. Everyday Martial Artist is brought to you by KOonline.com for all your martial arts needs. Sparring and safety gear, rank belts, uniforms, weapons, patches, and more. Wholesale supplies made by martial artists for martial artists. Visit us today at KO-Online.com. Hello and welcome to the newest edition of Everyday Martial Artist. I'm your host, Brian Doucette. On this week's episode, uh, as every episode, we have a, a wonderfully special guest. And this week, uh, kind of excited about this one. This is a gentleman who was one of Bruce Lee's first students in Seattle way back in 1959. But we're going to ho- hopefully even go back a little further and talk. So let's welcome to the show today, James DeMille. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you. Aloha from Hawaii. I'm sure your your weather is a lot warmer than we have in Minnesota right now. I think we're sitting at about uh, 22 degrees and a little snow on the ground. <laughs> yeah, it's about 85 here. Oh, I've never been to Hawaii. It's it's one of my dream vacation spots, and I'm I'm really hoping to make it at, at some point, maybe when the kids are all out of the house, I want to get there. Yeah, well, it's a great place to visit, but much nicer to live here. I can imagine. So, so <laughs> as, as I mentioned in the intro, you obviously you're trained with Bruce Lee, but you, you kind of started martial arts a little before that. I know I read that um, you boxed when you were in the Air Force. Now, was there was that your first intro to anything to do with type of martial arts and fighting, or did you do something before you boxed? No, no. I, uh, I went in the uh, military, uh, Air Force, at 15 years old. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I, I had gotten in some trouble. And, and uh, so the judge said that if my mother would sign me in, I could go into the military. Wow. And so I did at 15. And uh, see, that was in 54. And, and in 56, I was stationed in Fairbanks, Alaska. And it was like 50, 60 below during the winter. And the only way to get out of uh, uh, the cold was to uh, get into special services. And one of the things they offered was boxing. Okay. And so in order not to freeze to death, I got involved in boxing. And that was the beginning of my martial arts career. And how did that now? Had you done any, I mean, I mean you said you mentioned you got in some trouble. Now, was that anything to do with fighting or is that something oh, completely no, new for no, you? No, just, just, Purely illegal. Uh, okay. I was a, I was a real punk kid. Did a lot of things that uh, I could have got arrested for, but didn't. Okay. Uh, I was brought up for twelve years in an orphanage, and uh, that sort of laid the groundwork for my attitude being sort of a survival of the fittest. <laughs> you know, that's uh, sort of formulated how I I looked at life. You know, it's a, it was a fight every day. So that's how I kind of got involved in illegal things when I was young. Okay. Yeah, but I lucked out and actually uh, turned out quite well because uh, the service kind of straightened me out and gave me an opportunity to, you know, mature a little bit and get away from that negative attitude I developed in the in the orphanage. Right. So what was it about boxing that, that attracted you? What did you enjoy about it? Um, it sort of fulfilled my Neanderthal mentality. <laughs> I, 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 had, I had always fought a lot when I was a kid in, in the orphanage. And uh, in fact, that was the way I kind of identified who I was because I, I had never lost a fight. And so getting into boxing uh, just it gave me an opportunity to release a lot of that aggression. And, and I found out I was pretty good at it. 
Um, I was uh, about 5'10", 225 pounds, and I fought super heavyweight. And I, I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. And it was a great way, again, not to freeze to death outside. But at the same time, I met a lot of really neat people and, and uh, again, developed a basic skill, which later on uh, I found was, uh, it wasn't appropriate, but it, it was uh, something that I learned was not the best way to fight when, you know, once I met Bruce Lee. Right. So do you remember roughly then for the Air Force, uh, how many years were you in and about how many boxing matches did you have? Do you remember? Well, most of the fights that I had in the military are co- called what they call smokers. Okay. In other words, they're like two, three rounds or a couple minutes, two, three. It depends on any one day. And you might fight two or three times in a week okay. and twice in a night. Yeah, well, uh, you know, that's just the way the military was. The Marines had theirs, Navy had theirs, Army had theirs. And so I probably had uh, in two years over 100 matches. Nice. Okay. And I'm assuming but, you had, you had a pretty I, pretty good record? Oh, yeah. I was I was undefeated. I was never wow. beat. Okay. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, that, that was what caused me a problem when I met Bruce Lee. Okay. Uh, because my attitude was is that I was the toughest guy in town, <laughs> you know. And uh, to have this little 135-pound kid uh, teach me humility was quite an, an awakening process, you know. So how did you end up in Seattle? And just kind of talk about that first time you you witnessed and, and met Bruce Lee. Well, I, I was in an orphanage in California and then moved up to Oregon and then went up to Washington in a, an orphanage outside of Seattle uh, by Kirkland, they call it, uh, an orphanage called Briscoe. And then once I got old enough, I couldn't stay there any longer. So I had to go into town. And uh, this is where I began to, like I say, go to a, a normal school, so to speak. But at the same time, I was starting to get into a lot of trouble and, and skip school. And eventually I got busted. And, and uh, the judge, like I said, I was really lucky. I, I didn't go to jail, but he said that I had to go back to school. And this is prior to my, uh, I mean, after my military. Okay. Because I had gotten in trouble prior to going in the military. And then when I got out, I, re- I returned back to my old ways. So I got in trouble again. But the interesting thing about being a, a kid is when you do things, they, they slap your hand. You know, it's a misdemeanor. But you do the same things when you're 18 and above, and it's a felony. So you yeah. go to prison. So the things that I enjoyed doing as a kid, trying it as an adult, I suddenly was facing prison time. So again, I I was really lucky because the judge just said, well, I I didn't have a bad record. And I I had a lot of people come in and, you know, talk good for me as far as that basically was a good guy, had good grades in school. But the judge said you had to go back to school. And so I went to a school called Edison Technical School. And that's where I met Bruce Lee, because Bruce had been expelled also from high school just as I had been expelled. And in order to go into the university, you had to do makeup credits. And in Seattle, the Edison Technical School was a high school for adults to do makeup credits. Okay, And that's where I met Bruce Lee, 59. And and now if I remember the story, he was was doing some type of demonstration that you witnessed? Yeah, that was was called Asian Day. And and, uh, I had an open class, so I was wandering down the hallway. And then I noticed this little board out there that said that there was a demonstration going on about the different Asian cultures. So I went in and sat in the back and was watching and there was this uh, Chinese kid up on up on the stage talking about uh, martial arts and self-defense. And then he talked about doing a form and he started leaping around the stage and slapping at his feet and making funny noises. And so I was amused because he kept talking about how deadly it was, how effective it was. 
And I thought that, you know, this kid's got to be kidding. So <laughs> I went up afterwards and talked to him. And there was a, a, a number of other people there, too, other kids or other adults from uh, going to school. And so I, I listened to him talk. And then I, I, I guess I was smirking or something because he looked at me and he said, you got a question. And I said, you know, over here, we don't fight like bugs. <laughs> I remember that so clearly because that was my whole reference was that he looked like a butterfly dancing around the stage. And um, so he just said, well, he stepped up in front of me and he said, punch at me. And I went, what? Well, I was very fast. I mean, I, I knew that if I jabbed at somebody, there's no way anybody could block me. Mm -hmm. So Bruce said, no, no, go ahead. And I went, well, what I would thought I would do is this kind of flick his forehead, tap him on the forehead just to show him how fast I was. And so I quickly shot off a jab, and I swear to God, I mean, things happened so fast, I couldn't even believe it. He did what we call trapping. He trapped my hand, planted it against my chest, bounced me off the stage, which we were standing on down below, where the stage was about mid-back to me. And he was bouncing me off there, tapping me on the forehead, and just embarrassed the living hell out of me. And <laughs> it, it was it was just like I say, a lesson in humility, because the kid moved unbelievably fast. But at the same time, he did it without any effort. He just, he didn't look like he was really putting out any effort as far as being able to totally control me. And I outweighed him almost 100 pounds. And I was really trying to get away from him and I couldn't do it. So that was my introduction to Bruce Lee. That was my introdu introduction to the art of fighting rather than just the Neanderthal type of fighting that I was used to. So it was, it was an interesting experience. So then did you ask him about training with him or did he? Well, no, he was talking about that. He was he had started to teach under what they call Blue Cross, which was just up from the a restaurant where he was dishwasher, busboy, you know, he's doing a lot of things there. And he, he just started, he just mentioned that he had started uh, teaching. And I asked him if I could start training with him. And that's how I got involved with him. Started going up there and, and started training. Plus, we trained also in class. Uh, my senior, in other words, the person who started ahead of me, named Jesse Glover, uh, had already started training. And he was also going to school there at Edison. So that that's what got the whole thing going. The original students were basically from Edison Technical School. Okay. And just talk a little bit about some, you know, some of those early classes. This was obviously when he was still teaching Wing Chun. It was before he started developing Jeet Kune Do. So what were some of those early classes like? Do you remember some of the first th things you learned and, and how the classes well, kind of went? Bruce Lee was still a classical Wung Fu man. In other words, he had not really changed at all. He had not become innovative. He was still basically a Wing Chun uh, student. Now, by Wing Chun student, I mean, he'd only been practicing about three years. He started training at 15, and he was 18 at the time. And anybody that knows anything about the way they teach in, in Hong Kong or China is they teach exceptionally slow. In other words, you can learn just like the horse stance for six months, you know, if you're in Hungar. And that is the whole thing that frustrated Bruce is that he really wanted to learn, but he was always limited by how they doled out slowly information. But he had he was from a fairly well-to-do family, and so he could pay extra to get extra training uh, from both Yip Man and some of the senior students. And this is where, again, his basic style at that time was Wing Chun, because the primary fighter that he knew that was a street fighter was a guy named William Chung. And William Chung was a Wing Chun person and who introduced Bruce to Wing Chun. And so when Bruce went to the United States, his whole mentality was still Wing Chun. But there were no Wing Chun masters to train with. So he was trying to teach us basic Wing Chun. Uh, we learned some Chi Sao. We learned some basic trapping. Uh, but he was still a student. He wasn't a teacher. 
Okay. So he was always experimenting, always trying different things. But the one thing that he found after about, oh, six months was that Wing Chun wasn't working because we weren't impressed with Wing Chun because we were very aggressive fighters. We're what you call nose-to-nose fighters. We just attack. And Bruce was not used to that. Bruce was not used to non-disciplined freestyle fighting. Everything was already sort of pre-programmed, like in Gong Fu, one Gong Fu system against another. Charlie fought against Hungar or Wing Chun. So Bruce found out that all the forms he had learned, all the things he had, had done in Wing Chun just weren't working against us who were constantly attacking but who also could take a hit. In other words, Bruce could hit us, but it wouldn't affect us because he was only 135 pounds. So his punches were like bee stings. (laughs) So this really made Bruce step back and reevaluate what he was learning. And that is what caused him to actually start changing and, and changing many of the concepts of Wing Chun. And it became his, what I refer to as his fighting style. By that, I mean that Bruce Lee was only interested in Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee was not interested in me getting good or Jesse getting good or Ed getting good. He was only interested in him getting good. So he would use us as his personal dummies. And whatever we were good at, he would use that as a way to train. In other words, he wouldn't, like you would in a normal class, teach everybody the same thing. No, he didn't. The only thing we learned that were constant as far as everyone was chi sao, sticking hands, because that was a, a, an exercise that we could all do together and actually start developing a basic skill as far as spring energy, perimeter control, things like that. So Bruce, at that point in time, and that was probably mid-60s, he began to start innovative and he began to say, well, wait a minute, instead of just accepting Wing Chun or Hungar or Charlie Fat, I'm going to step back and look at the technique itself and see whether it's practical or not, practical for him. So he no longer looked at martial arts from a Gong Fu or, you know, a a classical standpoint, he looked at it from, was it practical? Did it work? And so that changed our whole emphasis on how we trained, because everything we did after that was always challenged. So he would say, okay, let's take a, a boxer. How many different ways can a boxer attack? How many different ways can a boxer strike you? Now let's look at the different ways that we can defend against that, stop that. You know, what are the weaknesses in that? Or karate or a street fighter. In other words, no matter what the system was, Bruce and we would just sit around and we would analyze different elements of fighting, the strategy of fighting, and what were the weaknesses in that. And then Bruce would ultimately design maybe six to 10 things that he felt could actually deal with all systems, any street fighter, any fighter at all. He could effectively deal with them with those 10 to 12 things. And we call that the tool pouch. In other words, each of us developed our own personal tool pouch to be able to have our own self-defense techniques that we really liked, that we believed in, that we knew would work for us. Those were our personal you know, techniques. Bruce had his. Jesse had his. I had mine. So that was the, the big change in training with Bruce in the early years was the analytical way that we approached fighting. And again, The important thing to remember is that Bruce was only interested in Bruce. So therefore, later on, when he began to teach Jun Fan and JKD, he began to leave out things. And the reason he did it was very sound. Why should I teach someone to beat me was his whole philosophy. So why should he teach anybody closing techniques, trapping techniques, spring energy techniques, all the concepts that we trained in during this uh, 59, 60, 61 period disappeared as soon as he started teaching June Fawn and JKD. Wow. Mm-hmm. And and 
I've done seminars for JKD. And I, that's the first thing I tell them. Your stance is terrible. You have a broken center line. You don't know how to trap. And then I tell them, now I'm going to show you. And I, and I show them. Okay. So my stance to me has like six or seven major flaws. And I show them. I don't just tell them. I show them. Because Bruce, he was really unfair. He could do all the stuff that he showed in June Fon and JKD. He could do it in anything. I mean, the guy was a master at everything he did. But that didn't mean anybody else could do it. Because the thing that people were missing was the core principles that made everything work. And the core principles were closed by Jean that were totally supported trapping, spring energy, center line, which gave him two weapons and an upper torso power base. In other words, Bruce had certain core principles that he just never bothered to teach. So that's why I and Jesse and Ed and Leroy are so different than everybody else, because we just happened only by chance to be there when Bruce Lee, the pump kid, was himself just learning, himself just evolving. And that's why I know what I know, because I happened to be there and was fascinated with the science of what Bruce did. I, I, I've always been, my books, my videos, everything I teach is based on the science of Bruce Lee combatives. How long did you train with Bruce for completely? Well, let's see, 59, late 59, 60, 61, part of 62. Okay. But you have to understand, we were not a club. We weren't, we didn't go down and train Tuesdays and Thursdays from six to eight or six to seven. We trained every day. We started in the morning. We met in the library. We met at lunch. We met after school. We trained in the evening after Bruce got off work. We went down to Chinatown and ate and talked till late at night about technique. This is every day. So if you were to acute, Jesse and I sat one day and we said, if we were to equivocate the uh, time that we trained versus a normal person training, we would have to train maybe eight years. Wow. I mean, in time spent. Yeah. Because that was our whole life. That's all we did. Because yeah, most, pe they, most, they, most people yeah. train two or three days a week for an hour a day. So, oh yeah. So yeah, no, no, we, that's crazy. And then, <laughs> and then plus Jesse and I worked together. So we, we trained when we worked together later on years later. So this is where a lot of people don't understand. They think you have to understand the train for, you know, five, six, seven, eight years in order to develop a high level of skill. Well, it depends on how you compress that. But also ours was not where Bruce was the Sifu and we stood there like obedient students and listened. No. We all interacted with him. We argued with him. We, we challenged his, his logic a lot of times because we were a group of guys hanging out, just training and doing stuff we loved. We weren't a club. We weren't, you know, belonging to uh, where, where there was rank or there was any, you know, uh, noticeable difference between us and Bruce. Bruce was just somebody who knew some neat stuff that we liked that we trained in. Other than that, he was just Bruce Lee to us. He wasn't anybody special. So so it was a unique period of time compared to how most people relate to the martial arts. Right. So then after your time with Bruce, did you train with others or did you just start kind of doing it on your own after that? No, I actually quit for a number of years um, okay. from probably 1965, 66. I didn't train and probably till early 70s when I moved to Hawaii. And then what brought you back to it? What to, was it just something you well, missed? Or? It was, no, 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 no. I had actually, I wasn't going to train anymore. I, I had no more interest in martial arts. Okay. I was married and, and uh, had a daughter and, and uh, just try, tried to survive. Mm -hmm. And I was living in Honolulu 
And, uh, but I was gaining weight. And so my wife said, you should go work out. So there was a uh, YMCA about a block away from my office called the New Iwana YMCA. So I went down in the weight room and, and uh, now I'm lazy. I don't like to punch weights or do whatever. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to think of things to do. And I, but I was practicing my form called the Selim Tao. And there was in the New Iwana YMCA, there's two sections. There's the weight room and then there's the martial arts room. And there's a screen between the two. And I was in the weight room and a guy was watching me do a form. He was in a karate uniform. So he came over and asked me what I was doing. And I said, well, I'm just stretching and and working uh, these different form muscles just to, uh, you know, uh, try and lose some weight. Anyway, he said, well, he's in karate. He's a fourth degree black belt. And uh, asked me about what I had trained in. I told him I trained with Bruce Lee. Well, Bruce Lee was in Hong Kong at the time doing movies and stuff. So, uh, and he was unknown other than being in the Green Hornet. Right. His movies weren't known yet. So he's, the, the guy asked me, he said, well, what, what kind of things do you do? And I said, well, honestly, I didn't know. Because, you know, you train and train and, and, and then you're done and, and you don't think about it. So the guy said, well, what if, if I do this? And he punched at me. And I drove him right into the ground. <laughs> In other words, I attacked him. Mm-hmm. And, and I never even thought about it. I just did it. I just reacted. Well, needless to say, within about a month, I had almost 40 students. Wow. I mean, it, I mean, because no one had ever seen. I, I demonstrated what I could do. Uh, I showed them how I would deal against kickers or boxers or anything. And it, it was just one of those things where, wow, everybody really liked it. So I opened a club uh uh, just in back of my office. Uh, and before I knew it, I had me about 150 students. And uh, that was, that started me off teaching. And that was probably, oh, God, that must have been 1971. Okay. Right in there. And then I, 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 went, I moved to the mainland. Um, I wrote my Power Punch book and uh, moved to the mainland and did a tour across the United States with some people who were interested who had bought my Power Punch book and wanted to train. Uh, at that time, I also wrote my book, The Tao of Wing Chun Do, which was the outline of all my techniques. And so that started it. And ever since then, uh, I've been in the martial arts. So what led to that first book? What made you decide to to write a book? Well, actually, I was kind of funny. Um, I was up in my club uh, working out, just doing stuff. And I had the television on just for noise in the background. And all of a sudden, I heard the, the, the name Bruce Lee. I went, what? So I went went into my office and looked. And there was a guy named Bob Wall who had been in the movie with Bruce. And Bob was in Honolulu on his way back to the mainland. And he was talking about Bruce Lee and the movies. But he also talked about having learned this power punch. Now, you have to understand the power punch was developed by Bruce Lee and myself in in my apartment, uh, probably early 1960, just to try and get Bruce to be able to hit harder. So we practiced in my apartment on this. And the reason we were in my apartment was because Bruce would call his mother in Hong Kong or his mother would call him in, from Hong Kong or his brother would call him from San Francisco. And back in the uh, back in that period of time, in the early 60s, it's very expensive to talk on the telephone outside of the city. So this is where Bruce would borrow my phone. So we would walk down. I was I, I only lived about a block away from two blocks away from Edison. So we would go down there, and while we were waiting for his mother, we would train. And Floyd Patterson was the heavyweight champ at the time, and so we were kind of talking about the way Floyd Patterson hit and and the way boxers hit, and we began to experiment on different ways of punching. And from this experimenting came the floating punch. Well, 
Bruce became very good at this punch where he could really, really generate tremendous power. And the one thing he told me was, please do not teach this to anyone else or show this to anyone else or even tell anybody because he wanted it as his own special punch. So I said, fine. So I never, ever mentioned it, never talked about it. We never trained it. Jesse never knew it. Ed never knew it. I just forgot about it. No big deal because I could already hit it 225 pounds. (laughs) So anyway, I called up the... TV station. And I said, Hey, Bob, uh, I I trained with Bruce. Um, I'm very curious about the floating punch. I'd never, ever heard it ever mentioned before. I was shocked that he he even knew it. So he came up to my club. We just talked story for a while. And I said, Okay, Bob, I want you to show me the punch. So he hit me with this punch. And I went, no, 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 hit me hard. And he went, no, no, I did hit you hard. And I went back. So I said, let me hit you. And I knocked him halfway across my club. I mean, literally, well, he was standing feet parallel. And he just, you know, almost fell over. But anyway, the whole point was, is that he said to me, you should write a book. And believe it or not, that is exactly why I wrote the Power Punch book. Wow. I went, (laughs) I went home, I went home and I told Irene, my wife, I said, I met this guy, Bob Wall, and he, he, he really was impressed by the punch. And he said, I should write a book. So she said, well, why don't you? So actually I did. I I sat down and I wrote down all the principles and and concepts. I got one of my students to take pictures. And that's how the original Power Punch book. And then I advertised it in Black Belt magazine. Mm -hmm. And from that, uh, across the United States, I got letters and and, and questions and people interested. And, uh, And of course, Bruce at that time, again, was just becoming somebody that they knew. And they were fascinated and wanted to train. And, and so I said, well, I'll set up some seminars across the country. So that's what I did. Uh, Oakland and Chicago and New York. And, and it, it just turned out to be uh, the beginning of, of 50 years of martial arts to me because I'm still involved. I still teach. Now, with that book, do you remember how, how did that book sell initially? Was it a pretty good seller? Oh, yeah. I had them printed at, at uh, 10,000 at, at a shot. And I would wow. have them printed every three months. Wow. And I, oh, yeah. I, and I remember just I kind of a little sidetrack story. I love it. Uh, how I kind of found it and, and met you and, and talked to you a little bit on Facebook was, you know, your, your Facebook page and you posted that when you were moving, you found an unopened box of those books and you actually went and sold them, which was, that's how I got my copy, which was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's exactly what happened. I, when we moved from, from uh, the mainland back to Hawaii, I had all these boxes. And as I was going through them, what, what, what is this, you know? <laughs> That's really cool. But, but it was, uh, it was the start, it started the whole thing because if I hadn't written that book, then obviously I'd probably still be living in Honolulu and uh, never, ever gotten really back that seriously in the martial arts other than having my school. So it's interesting how life throws you these little opportunities. Exactly. And then how much longer was it before you wrote your second book? Because you wrote four books. Oh, I wrote the second book as soon as I went to the mainland from Hawaii and probably 74 right in there, 74, 75. And well, in fact, that's interesting because, you know, I had learned a lot of techniques from Bruce and we trained in a lot of techniques, but there was no organization and structure to anything that I knew. I had a vast amount of information, but I really wasn't aware of what I knew. I just knew a lot. Mm -hmm. And even when I taught in Hawaii, I only taught a little of this, a little of that. Today, I'm going to teach this, you know. In other words, there was no structure. So when I went to the mainland to start my seminars in Oakland. I remember sitting there thinking, this is going to be a two-week seminar, six hours a day. What the hell am I going to teach? So I literally sat down 
took a notebook and I wrote down everything that I knew about what I trained with Bruce, every technique, every concept, every principle. And then I organized them into a structure and that became Wing Chun Do. And that's when I wrote my book because I all that notes, I turned around and I wrote the book. So then it, like in, in your opinion, compared to traditional Wing Chun, what, you know, what, what are some of the main differences in Wing Chun Do? Oh, day and night. Is, okay. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. And, and I can't really explain it because you have to actually see it and feel it. But the primary things are the stance is different. The, the way we use spring energy is different. The way we use our center line for having two weapons at the same time is, is different. There's just so many little factors. Plus, there, there's closing techniques that Wing Chun doesn't have. There, there's just so many little things that make up Wing Chun Do. And the only reason that I use the term Wing Chun Do was in 1973, a guy who was a uh, writer for Black Belt asked me if I would do an article. And I said, sure. So he did the article. And, and during the course of the article, he said, what is the name of your style? Well, I had always been thinking Wing Chun. I always use the term Wing Chun because Bruce always used the term Wing Chun. He didn't use any other term. Even though we were changing and doing different things, he still used the term Wing Chun. So in my mind, I was only training in Wing Chun. Well, there was a gentleman named Robert Jung, Chinese fellow who was a fighting Wing Chun man. By that, I simply mean that if you at all insulted Wing Chun, he came and challenged you. Okay. Well, Robert heard, heard that there was a non-Chinese guy teaching Wing Chun at the new Uwana YMCA. Robert wandered up and he sat there and he watched me teach. And after the class, he, I you know, went up and talked to him and he said, what do you teach? And I said, I teach Wing Chun. And he said, no, you don't. And I went, what? <laughs> he said, you don't teach Wing Chun. He said, you use the term Wing Chun. You use technique terms in Wing Chun, but you do not teach Wing Chun. It's totally different. Well, needless to say, he came to challenge me, but we became very good friends because he could see that I what did not mean any insult. I just didn't know any better. So I explained what I was doing and he explained what Wing Chun was. And after that, I, I, I no longer called it Wing Chun. However, when the guy from Black Belt asked me, what is the name of your system? I was at a loss what to call it. So I said, Wing Chun Do, the way of Wing Chun. In other words, I was paying respect to my roots but not calling it Wing Chun, the classical. Okay. That's how Wing Chun Do became the label of my system. I could have called it bread dough. I mean, <laughs> there was no particular reason other than I had no other thought at the time because he asked me out of the clear blue sky, what do you call your system? So that's how Wing Chun Do became Wing Chun Do. And that's how I evolved Wing Chun Do relative to my having to do seminars in Oakland and not knowing what to teach, having no structure. So I formulated the structure just so that I could teach these seminars. And in doing so, I gave it the kind of structure that, again, worked well for doing my book. Mm -hmm. So so has the structure, for the most part, stayed the same, or have you continued to evolve the art? Exactly the same. Okay. Wow. By, by structure, I mean the concepts and principles, speed, power, trapping, closing, spring energy, all the principles. Okay. that I presented in the 70s still exist 100% today. Nice. Now, you've written four books? Four books, yeah. Okay. And then when did you first decide to start doing instructional videos? So was that another? Was that someone else's idea? Was that your idea? Because you've done quite a few videos, too. Yeah, well, there weren't really instructional videos per se other than, yeah, there were in so much as that I would just show like the power punch mm -hmm. or I showed cheese out. But I didn't really mean them other than just informational. Okay. Because what I teach is what you call interactive. In other words, you need to touch hands. 
And you can't do that if you're just doing it by video or book. So I felt it was very, very limited. The only thing that has changed my mind was in this last six months because of the pandemic. I've been teaching on Zoom and it has been a real, real challenge because I'm I'm teaching people in in, uh, South Korea, um, Cyprus, Denmark, uh, Mexico, UK, Germany, and all these people, I'm not touching hands with them but they want to learn the concepts and principles. So I've had to sit down and really reevaluate how I presented all my techniques so that they could actually be taught through Zoom sessions without ever having to touch. And I'm really, really pleased the way that it's turned out because the quality of the people that are training, I can see is really much better than I would have expected. But it's how I present the drills, how I how I use Zoom as far as examining all the details of how they move and the questions that I ask them and, and, you know, how they respond. So my attitude about years ago that you couldn't teach by video, that's changed in the last six months because it's just technique, you know, teaching technique more than anything. Right. And obviously you, it's always better in person, of course, but you're dealing with what you have to because of the time we're dealing with right now. So, well, not only that, but you know, uh, these are people that are really interested and fascinated by Bruce's techniques and concepts, but will never meet me probably. Right. But they still want to learn. So the trick is, is okay, I'll teach you, but you got to be really serious because it's going to take this interaction because it's all private. I don't teach any classes because I can't teach a class where I feel I could produce the results. A class, it would not work because there's two different many learning curves. But if you teach private, you can adapt very quickly to that person's learning curve. And that makes it work. So from that standpoint, uh, you know, I, I find that it's a challenge. And, and because of the pandemic, it's also fun because, it, like I say, these people would never, ever have an opportunity to train in anything that is related to Bruce. So they're really pleased that they can train with someone who was his original student, right. but also really have an opportunity to learn the, the concepts and principles in a way that they understand and can apply them. So it's great. So before the pandemic started, now were you still teaching in-person private lessons quite often? No, I never, very rarely would I teach private. I only did okay. seminars or I, I would, I had, uh, you know, a school, Okay. Uh, but it's been quite a few years since I had a school, but I, I used to do a lot of seminars, traveling, doing seminars for weekends and only teach specific things like chi sao or, or some particular element of uh, close quarter combatives. Okay. Have you ever had uh, someone approach you to teach them that you've turned down for any reasons? Maybe they wanted to learn for the wrong reasons or anything? Or um, not in a, not in a, a seminar situation because they don't learn enough to, to make it where it's a problem. But I have told students in in my club that I don't want to teach them. Okay. Yeah, right, because of their attitude. That's good. Well, I find I find people who who are in a hurry to to learn things they can't learn anyway. So learn effectively enough that make it worthwhile. But also, I don't get any pleasure out of teaching people like that. I mean, it's a it's a negative, you know. Oh, exactly. So then obviously you said you you traveled around a lot. You did a lot of seminars. What's probably some of the coolest places you've got to travel in in your years of teaching martial arts? Well, I I really like Europe, Australia, New Zealand, you know, 
very interesting places, but uh, Europe is was my favorite, and Italy was probably my my favorite for visiting after I taught. Okay. Uh, Germany was interesting because uh, German students are very almost militaristic. In other words, they're great students because they kind of stand at attention and, and follow along like they would would in the military. Very regimented. Italians, it's hard to teach them because they they're not too serious. You know, I found the UK. UK was disappointing because people they would attend a seminar and then they would open a school after one you know, seminar. You'd find out, yeah, <laughs> wow. you, you'd you'd find that they'd open a school. Wow. I mean, you talk about schools on every corner. You know, they were like Kentucky Fried Chicken stores. You know, uh, Wing Chun and June Fawn schools all over England. I'll tell you. So I got leery of teaching anything in England, but uh, but I, I it, it's really enjoyable. I think the most fun thing was is that I would go into a country that I had not been, teach my seminars, and then my wife would fly in, and then we would rent a car, and for a week we would just travel and sightsee. So that that was really fun. So we enjoyed it from that standpoint. So has your wife got involved in martial arts at all? Have you trained her? Has she had any interest? Originally, she was the uh, she participated. Uh, she taught most of the white belts, but she is a, a, a kind of a pacifistic person and did not like the violence of sparring. Okay. But she really liked the the concepts and principles that you get in the in the basics when you're first beginning. So she was very very good at that. Okay. After all these years, I mean, obviously you agreed to do the podcast, so, uh, you know, probably not, not too bad, but do you ever get sick of getting asked about Bruce Lee? You know, not really only because usually it's the first time the person's ever asked a question or the first time the person's ever heard the answer. So if you're repeating it to the same people, yeah, it would get boring. Right. But, you know, if the person asked the question, I assume it's something that they had not asked before and therefore they were going to appreciate an answer. And obviously, I really enjoyed uh, that period of time. I feel that the information is invaluable. And I really, you know, like I say, uh, at this point in time, even though it's been 50 years, um, no, I don't get tired of it. I get tired of stupid questions like, what kind of gum did Bruce chew? <laughs> no, no. I mean, people ask that. Really? I mean, yeah, they ask me stupid questions. What kind of gum? Okay. Yeah. Really that, dumb. That one I've never heard before. That's interesting. Kind of a, maybe a, a weird one, but like in your opinion, you knew Bruce very well. And I'm assuming you stayed in contact with him up until close to his death. If he wouldn't have died back then, do you think he'd still be relevant today? Do you think he'd still be a huge movie star? No, he would have destroyed his own image because he had a lot of personal problems. Okay. And uh, the thing that made Bruce so unique was that unique period of time. In other words, there was nobody like him. But, you know, later on, you had your Jackie Chans and your Jet Lees and whatevers. And you had a different, totally different mindset of people. But it just so happened at that particular time, Bruce Lee was totally unique. And he was, it was that period of time in which he was necessary in order to, to give a lot of young people some sense of belief in themselves, some sense of respect or something that they could do. And so I, it's really hard to say, but but honestly, I don't think if he would have continued to live, he would have went on to become a, a movie producer, movie director. But, you know, he, he was, like I say, he had a lot of personal and emotional problems. So, but the thing that I will never forget is what he gave us from his own concepts, his own creativity in that period of time that I know him. 
Right. So that that is the only time I really relate to him at all. You know? So then in, in all your years of martial arts, is there like a a favorite philosophy or maybe one or two, you know, specific quotes or philosophies from martial arts that really stand out for you that you really hold personal to your heart? Mm, you know, not not really. I don't I don't think in, in that way relative to martial arts because I'm I'm a combatives person. I'm a I'm a street fighter. Mm-hmm. I don't think of myself as a martial artist. Okay. which surprises a lot of people. Yeah. But I, I I always think of myself as a sophisticated street fighter. I just happened to meet a guy named Bruce Lee who taught me some really cool stuff that really refined my street fighting skills. But other than that, I never really related to the martial arts as martial arts. Okay. Uh, I taught because it was like a, a business or a profession. It's something I knew and I knew well, and it just turned into something I did for 50 years. But I never really related to it being special like a person would think in terms of martial artist. And to this day, I feel the same. Um, I, I respect the martial arts, but I feel that the martial arts by itself does not fit well into our culture. It's a, it's a Far Eastern culture mm-hmm. sort of art. And it was brought over here, but it really doesn't fit our culture. And, and, and I never could see it where it did because we don't fight that way. We don't fight like karate or kung fu or you know that we're you know so i never related to it because of my background as a street fighter so as far as any anything that i would relate to that i would feel that was important would i would have to isolate out my tool pouch concepts that were really really uh, valuable and that would work for anybody regardless of gender age physical condition so this is where i feel the the, the value in what i learned what i you know, became involved in, in that Bruce Lee period of time was concepts that would work for anyone. Okay. And that's what I teach. I teach that. That's what I teach today. That's what I teach on zoom are the, the Bruce Lee combative close quarter combatives and the, 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 the tool pouch type of techniques, because uh, that's what I find most people are interested in. Okay, good. Now, is there other than Bruce Lee, is there uh, throughout your life, is there any other martial artists that you've really looked up to or admired kind of other than Bruce? Uh, I've admired martial artists as martial artists, but not in the same way that I would say I admired Bruce for Bruce's fighting skill. You know, one of the things that I find that people say, well, Bruce was never in a tournament, so he never really was proved himself, which is a joke. Right. And I, and I tell people, look, it, or they'll tell me, you know, my instructor, blah, blah, blah. And I tell them, look, I'd like to meet your instructor. I'd like to spar with your instructor. Because if your instructor is that good that he could have beat Bruce, then he should be able to take care of me with no problem. Because that's what irritates me is that Bruce Lee, to me, in all the years I've been in the martial arts and all the travel that I've done around the world, all the fighters I've known, all the MMA fighters that I've known, I don't know one that I would put any money on in a street fight with Bruce Lee. Wow, that's cool. Now, now, now why I say that, is because now I was an undefeated boxer. Ed Hart boxed professionally. He could rip your head off. He was 6'4", 260 pounds. Mm-hmm. All of us were street fighters. All of us were, you know, not afraid of anybody. Bruce Lee could beat all of us. So that to me is where I don't care what anybody says about fighting. They had to touch hands with Bruce Lee to understand just how explosive and dynamic this kid was. And to this day, you know, like I say, when I'm I think in terms of being amazed, I, it's his ability to trap you and shut you down where you could not do anything. But I can talk about it, you know, but you had to actually touch hands with Bruce in order to understand that. 
That's one argument you see on the internet probably every single day. You know, this guy could beat Bruce Lee and none of them know. I mean, they have no idea what they're talking about. Yeah. You just ignore it. I mean, the people, what in my opinion, I have no opinion <laughs> because an opinion is not based on fact. Right. And, and the only fact that I feel is that Bruce could beat anybody in any situation in an actual street confrontation. And that includes some of the best boxers, Mike Tyson. Oh, people say, well, Mike Tyson, this and Mike, I say, hold it. Mike Tyson could have beat me in a ring, but I'm sure as hell would have gave him a run for his money for a bit. But at the same time, people don't understand that you cannot box if you cannot use your hands. Right. And that's the thing that I learned that Bruce trapped my hands. And no matter how I tried to get out of his trap, it was like a bad smell. I just could not get away from him. <laughs> it was amazing. But meanwhile, he could hit you. So this is something because Bruce is dead. It can't be proven. Right. Other than that, if, if I run across somebody and they'll say, well, Bruce tried that on me and I'll say, hold it, hold it, get into a boxer's position, get into your fighting position, and then I'll attack them. And I shut them down. <laughs> and I said, hell, I, I said, I'm, I'm not that good. You know, I said, I'm just a Neanderthal fighter. But see, they don't understand what's about to happen. Right. They don't understand what trapping is. They think trapping is some fancy. No, 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 no. You know, it, it, it's not fancy. It's functional. And I love to show people. I don't care who they are. Boxer, street fighter, jujitsu. I don't care. I'll say, well, let me let me demonstrate. You can do whatever you want to do. I don't care. Just, you know, react however you want. And then I attack them. And I've never in all of my 50 years ever had a problem. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, it's, it's the concepts and principles that are so beautiful that what Bruce evolved for himself. And I just am fortunate enough to be able to, like I say, teach those concepts because that's what I like to do. I believe in them. Good. So, so do you have a favorite martial arts book? I, I, obviously, you've written some yourself, but other than the ones that you, you've written, is there one that you really enjoy yourself that you've read? No. No? Do you, no. Have, you, have you read a lot of martial arts books or just haven't found uh, that you've enjoyed? I have read a lot of martial arts books that have to do with technique. Okay. And the reason I don't enjoy them is because I don't agree with the concepts. Okay. Because they're, they're impractical. Believe it or not, and this is something that I found true. 85% to 90% of instructors have never been in a fight. Really? Have never been in a fight. And I found, I, I, I traveled the world and, and, and I asked them, have you ever been in a fight? Well, yeah, when I was a kid. No, 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 no. I'm talking about somebody trying to punch your face out. You know? No, they don't. So how in the hell do these people write books, make videos, teach self-defense when they've never been in a fight? Good question. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so that's what I always confront them with. Okay. Kind of ending on a fun one, maybe. Do you, is there any uh, martial arts TV shows or movies you, you enjoy? You, you know, Maybe not for the technique, even just like a guilty pleasure type thing. Is there maybe a certain martial artist that you like watching on screen that's entertaining? You know, no, because most of the martial arts is martial arty. You know what I mean? If Especially, I love to watch Jackie Chan. Yeah. But just for the entertainment. You know, because he, he isn't trying to make it real. Whereas if you look at uh, Jet Li and, and a lot of these other Kung Fu guys, they're acting like this is supposed to be real. Right. Or the movie Wing Chun, you know, when they do patty cake martial arts. <laughs> so I, I think the major problem is because I trained with Bruce Lee and, and know a certain reality. So it's very difficult for me to to be open minded uh, without criticizing. Right. So I don't know. Now, what about now? Did you watch? Obviously, did you did you see the movie Dragon, the Bruce Lee story? Obviously, I you know the story wasn't one hundred percent true. But what do you think if you saw that movie? What did Nin ninety nine percent not true? Right. The only thing true about that movie was that he was married to Linda Lee. <laughs> 
Right. What What did you think of Jason Scott Lee, though, as his performance as Bruce? You know, I was surprised. I liked him. He was much bigger. Yeah. Um, the techniques were uh, terrible because of, of who taught him. But at the same time, uh, I liked him. I, I was very surprised. He didn't fit what I would imagine Bruce Lee. But if you forego that and just let yourself relax and look at it as a movie, it was entertaining. Right. But very disappointing because it was nothing was true. He didn't go to Stanford University. <laughs> he didn't write the uh, the, the Tao Jikun Do uh, while laying in bed. Right. Um, I mean, on and on and on and on. He, uh, but that's, that's Hollywood. Movie. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. Movie. That, that's Hollywood. Yeah. You know, they so, have creative license. Did you think we'll ever see a good good movie about Bruce Lee's life? No, it's too late. That's too bad. Yeah, yeah. I always wanted, and I tried for a number of years to do one on just training and technique, but I could never get an investor. Okay. So I given I've given up. Maybe at some time time I might still be able to do some kind of a short documentary. That'd be good. I'd like to see that. So then, as far as your your Zoom classes know, is that something you're you're pretty full up? Are you still taking students for that? If someone's interested, can they contact you? Well, there, it's it's closed right now because I'm I'm it's an instructor's program. It's been going on for six months. Okay. So uh, and I'm only dealing with the people that I'm dealing with, and it it's like I say, it's a challenge, but I'm really pleased the way it's turning out. And uh, these are guys that are interested in uh, teaching in their in their country, okay. you know, and, and I call it the mild defensive tactics. And really, it's just the it's just my personal tool pouch application. So, but no, to answer your question, no, I'm not I'm not really sure whether I'm going to teach anymore once I finish this group. I'm going to do a I'm I'm, I'm writing a, a little article or post for uh, Facebook. Okay. Uh, which which I'm going to put in, but uh, talk a little bit about it and how the pandemic has affected things. But at the same time, I'm not sure because I'm 83 years old. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm and I've got a lot of back problems. My right shoulder is giving me a lot of trouble from a fall that I had and ripped all the tendons and ligaments. Ooh. So unfortunately, my body's just not cooperating as I get older. So, but I, I still enjoy, I really enjoy teaching. I enjoy interacting with people who have a sincere interest That's and cool. um, it, it, it's fun. So, but I appreciate this, you know, like hopefully you, you, you'll have some listeners who will find this entertaining or enlightening. And uh, in the future, if you want to have any other questions, feel free to answer. Yeah, definitely. You know? Any, any last minute, last parting thoughts you want to leave words of wisdom or anything? No, everybody stay safe and healthy. Cool. I appreciate your time, sir, and I will uh, let you know when it's about to air. And if you want me to put a link to your website uh, with the with the show, I can do that also. Okay, appreciate it, Brian. Thanks a lot. Take you care. have a good and enjoy your day. All right, bye bye. Thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist. We hope you will join us every week for a brand new episode with a different martial artist telling their story. If you enjoy the show, be sure to leave us a review. Also, be sure to check out our website at everydaymartialartist.com. There you can find all of our episodes and contact us to suggest guests and ask questions. Again, thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist, and we'll see you next week.